0: That's beautiful. It's good to be together this morning, and uh, if you're new new to us or new this week, I want to encourage you to join with us. I hope you brought your Bible with us, if not a cell phone that might have an app that you can follow along. We'll have words on the screen as well, but if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open to Jeremiah uh, chapter 29, and I'll come back to that in just a moment, but I want to encourage you uh, about... Coming next week, maybe that's on your calendar already to come to church as most of you come so often, but next week's a, a special treat. Uh, we're going to have our trunk retreat treat and uh, finish this series, but the preacher is going to be here with us. And I'm going to be here getting to, to listen beside you, which I'm excited about. His name is Jonathan Stormont. He's one of my favorite preachers. He's the, a preacher at the Highland Church of Christ in Abilene, and uh, he's been a great blessing to my life. Uh, Wes and Kylie Raspberry came from the Highland Church before coming to join us in our student ministry and uh, it'll be a great blessing, a great treat, a great time to invite neighbors and friends uh, as well. And so I'm excited uh, to get to share him with you. This morning, I know we come from a lot of different places, and some of those places that some of us are this morning is in a time of difficulty, a time of struggle, a time of mourning, uh, a time of sickness, uh, a time of wondering. And so this morning, I want to lift up a special prayer on behalf of those of you this morning that are just not even having an easy time being present right now because of pain that may be there because of difficulty, to ask that God would provide just uh, what you need in terms of comfort and encouragement. Uh, So let's go to the Father together uh, right now. Father, life is not perfect, and even the aches and pains we wake up with, God, are reminders uh, of the brokenness of your world and the difficulty that's all around us. And So God, today I pray your comfort on those who mourn. I pray your peace on those who are living through times of deep anxiety about the future. I pray for reconciliation where brokenness of relationship is the difficulty that keeps us up at night. And I pray for a wholeness, God, your shalom to be over all of us, God. No matter our circumstance, no matter our difficulty, may you provide just what we need in this season. Would you provide just what we need this week, God? to fill our tanks, and to be encouraged to be a light to those around us. So God, may your spirit minister to each one as we have need. And may this morning you pour through me the gift of preaching so that Christ would be formed in hearts. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Well, if you weren't here with us last week, I I talked about uh, Scripture as this revolutionary document that changed the shape of human history. There's all kinds of ways in the Scripture I could point to this. That Scripture's not actually a book that's behind the times. It's actually pushing us ahead, pulling us forward into God's future. And one of the passages that's key in that was what I focused on last week. It's Genesis chapter 12, a passage that's speaking into the midst of a very tribal culture. A tribal culture where people receive their identity and their security from the tribe or the nation they were a part of. But God creates this revolutionary idea through Abram to begin a new tribe, a tribe that would be for the good of all nations on earth. A tribe that would not just be focused on itself, but through it, God would bless and would work throughout the world. And, and today, here we sit as a result of that promise through that tribe. And as the church today, we're called to, to provide a similar blessing on behalf of the world. That we receive God's blessing not to store it up and to be a reservoir of His blessing to keep for ourselves, but we continue to pass that blessing out uh, as God continues to bless the world through us. So today I want to read from the book of Jeremiah, because some of us may be in a place right now that we feel like, how in the world can I give in the midst of where I am? How in the world can I be a blessing when I don't feel blessed in the situation I'm in today? And so I want to read uh, from Jeremiah chapter 29, Beginning in verse 4 this morning, and you can follow along on the screen if you don't have your Bible with you this morning. Hear this word if you feel as if perhaps you're in the midst of exile, you feel as if you're in the foreign land, as if God is not close to you. Hear these words. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number and do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. The word here in Jeremiah 29 is a word to people who are not in their homeland, They're far away from the temple that God has lived in and and spoken into where His glory is. And they're wondering, where is God in the midst of it? Anybody, does this hit close to home? Maybe you feel as if you're in a foreign land. Maybe you feel as if God is not close to you. I think this word still speaks to us today. The word to these exiles is, in the midst of your difficulty, in the midst of longing for another land, seek the good of the city that you live in. Flourish there. Build houses. Marry off your sons and your daughters. Seek the good of your city, because if the city prospers, you too will prosper. And it is my belief that the church is called to be the very same thing in the cities we find ourselves in today. We are called to live for the good of the city. The church has many purposes. We're called to make disciples of all nations and that begins here and it expands across the world in Panama and places abroad like we saw earlier in our service. But it must begin here. So as we think about living in this world, the call of the church is to disciple, it's to, to raise up our kids to follow Jesus, it's to build up the church and to equip those saints for works of service. All of that's part of what the church does, but we must not forget that all churches All people in this tribe that started in Genesis 12 are to be people who bless the cities that they live in. The question I have this morning is, is Allen, Texas, is Collin County a better place as a result of the Greenville Oaks Church of Christ? If we were to to, to no longer exist... Would our city mourn because there's something that's missing as a result of us not being here each Sunday, but not just what we're doing here every Sunday, that we're dispersed throughout the world to be changed and to be light and salt. And I believe we're making a difference, but I also believe we can make a greater difference. Don't you? Amen? So this morning I want to look at some scriptures, and I want to go back to some of the words of Jesus to remind us that this is the call of the church, this is the task of the church to be good news on behalf of Of the world. And I believe Jesus taught this that he believed that the cities where Christians inhabited would be better places. Isn't this interesting? Places like Ephesus and Jerusalem and Rome, these are places full of darkness, full of idolatry in the first century. But how did I get to know these cities? These cities are the names of books in the Bible that I had growing up. It's as if God plants these communities of faith in the midst of these centers of all kinds of darkness in the midst of people who do not know the name of God, and the cities in some way flourish as a result of the Christians who live on behalf of that city. Now, I'm going to give uh, maybe a controversial claim this morning that I don't know where you would stand on, but here's the, here's the claim. I believe Jesus was a very smart man. He was fully God, too. I'm not here to say that he was only man. That's not the purpose. My point is, sometimes we take the words of Jesus and we think that Jesus came to almost ruin our lives with his commands, that he came to almost make it less fun to live. And I'm here to tell you, I think the commands that Jesus gives are the most life-giving commands that we can possibly follow. That the way of flourishing is the way that Jesus taught us to live. He was smart. And the way he taught us to live is actually the best way of life possible. I I believe that Jesus taught us in Scripture so many things that we have to draw on. And one of those places I want to point us to is a passage that many of you probably read before, maybe have memorized before. It's in the book of Matthew, chapter 22. These are the words of Jesus that we've memorized. And yes, it's simple. Maybe it's back to the core of what our faith is. But I believe in this is something that if we have ears to hear can change our lives. I think it can change our city as well. Matthew, chapter 22. I want to begin reading uh, in verse uh, 34, Matthew 22, verse 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Most of us have read this passage or heard this passage before. If if you're new to faith or you're just opening Scripture for the first time, I hope you hear these words and, and God blesses you through the reading of what Jesus said so many years ago. You know, if I were to imagine what Jesus would have answered to a question like that, what's the greatest commandment? Part of me thinks that you know, If I hadn't read this, if we didn't have this account and someone said, what's the most important command? There are 613 commandments in the Old Testament. And I, and I would expect Jesus to say, greatest commandment? How in the world could I narrow that down? Memorize all of them because all of them are important. Let's not lower the commitment of what it means to follow me. That's not what Jesus says though, is it? Jesus says, "No, no I'll give you the most important commandments. Love God with everything you have, with your heart, with your soul, with your mind. And he says, okay, I want to tack on a second one that's important too. The greatest commands. These are them. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I could have a whole series that would be about what it means to love God. Another series about what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. Wouldn't it be great if Jesus would give us a list of how to do that? I could check these things and say, man, I've loved God. I've kept his commands. I've summed up the law and the prophets in my way of living. It's hard to do that. So I could go on and on about the love of God, but this morning I want to talk and focus on the, on the love of neighbor. Loving our neighbors as ourselves. Living on behalf of the city that God has placed us in. What does that mean? And wouldn't you love it for Jesus to answer that question, be able to ask him right in front of him. and What, what does it mean to love our neighbors as ourselves? And I'm, I'm here to tell you, he actually answered this in Scripture, which is really cool when this happens, right? There's a guy who comes to Jesus and, and, and actually he develops more what that means to follow Neighbor and to love our neighbor. So, if you would, turn with me to Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, and verse 25. It says there, on, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, is this not a question that most people ask at some point in their lives? What, what happens? After this life, how do I make sure that I inherit eternal life? That's, that's a question we'd like to know the answer to. And this expert in the law is testing Jesus. There's more behind this. But he, he asked this question, what does it mean to inherit eternal life? How do you do that? And this is Jesus' response. I want to pay close attention here. Well, Jesus says, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. Now, I'm just guessing this guy was probably there in the other scene, right? He's heard Jesus' teaching. He knows what the most important commands are, and he says it right. He's a good student. He repeats back the right response. This is what it means to live. This is what it means to inherit eternal life. It's to love God with everything you have, to love your neighbor as yourself. And if he just stopped there, it would have been good. But, But he's trying to test Jesus, and he's got Ulterior motive behind all this. So this is what he says in the next verse, the guy who's asking this question. Verse 29, but he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, uh, pay close attention to the intent. His intent is to justify himself. And if we're thinking about the commands of Jesus and and this summing up the entire law and prophets, 613 laws in two commands, love God with everything you have, love your neighbor as yourself, pretty overwhelming to think about trying to live that out in order to inherit eternal life so we all kind of want to lower the bar don't we if we could ask Jesus so who really is my neighbor what he's asking isn't who is my neighbor what he's asking is who isn't my neighbor I mean can we kind of cut some people off the sides because that's hard to fall love everyone on earth surely there's some boundaries to the love that we provide Man, who, who's my neighbor Jesus meaning who who do I not have to love really and Jesus, like he seems to do so often, doesn't go on to tell, start naming names. He tells a story. And you you understand this, right? I mean, if, if, if you try to tell people the truth and you try to take it head on, people are going to parse that out. and They're going to try to figure out what's wrong with the truth that you're sharing with them. But if you share a story, all of a sudden stories aren't about forcing truth down people's throats. Stories about inviting people into a world to see the world differently. And when Jesus tells the parable, this is what he does. And any good movie, what does it do? Sucks you in. You kind of forget life outside of it. And all of a sudden, there's a turn at the end that kind of changes everything, right? You, you understand the story. This is how stories work in our culture. And Jesus does the same thing. He doesn't go head on when it comes to truth. He comes around the side and catches this guy in the midst of the story, the, the Good Samaritan story. This is the context that it's told in. You've, you've heard the story before. This guy's on the road and he, he gets beaten up along the way. And the righteous people who are walking alongside are supposed to take care of him. And they don't seem to do so. But here's this hated Samaritan that comes along and binds up his wounds and cares for him. It's a story that upends our expectations, doesn't it? It's a story where you kind of get caught of, of all things, the Samaritan's the one who did this. Why? Why did those who should have not do this. It's a story that reminds us that there is no one who is not our neighbor. It's a story that reminds us that our enemies are even the people who upend our expectations and they actually know to love and care for people sometimes more than we know how to. It's a shocking story. we come to know it so normally as if it's this normal thing, but it would have caught this guy off guard and it did. He's not even able to mouth the words that it was the Samaritan who did it when Jesus asked. So the story answers the man's questions and it defines further how, what does it mean to, to, to follow the great commandments? What does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? And in a sense, what it's saying is there are no loopholes. There are no people you get to cut off and say, well, I don't have to love that person. Everyone is your neighbor. There's something about that that's a challenge. We think about people that are our enemies or people we've had difficulty with. How in the world do we respond in love with these kinds of people? All people? Everyone? Jesus? And Jesus' response is yes. Everyone. So a couple of years ago, I went to a preacher gathering in the Denver area where I was in ministry before. And I got to hear from uh, two guys, one guy named Jay and another who was Dave, who are ministers in the Denver area. And they were talking about their area of Denver and what their uh, preacher's group was doing to get together. And it was an inspiring day, which is not all that common at preacher's gatherings. And so we get together and we go and we, we, we have this conversation. They're telling us about what's changing in their area as a result of a, an incident that happened. They were wondering, how do, we, how do we become good for our city? How do we change our city for the better? What can we as churches do to get together and change things? And so they invited the mayor uh, to their meeting and they decided, we're going to ask the mayor, what is it that you, in fact, this is the question they asked. They asked, if you could wave a magic wand and change something about our city, what would it be? And the mayor's sitting there and he gets a chance to respond to this. And you can imagine being the mayor, all that you see that's going on in the city, what you wish could be changed. And he responded with a laundry list of social problems that are much like we might find in Collin County, about at- at-risk youth, about poverty issues, about kids that are without uh, after-school uh, resources or lunch that's provided to them, about drug and alcohol abuse, about, loneliness, about Elders who have uh, very few people to care for them. But as the mayor was walking out the door, it wasn't the laundry list that impacted the preachers as much as what he said as he was leaving. He said, come to think of it as I leave, there's one thing you could do that might just change the city more than anything else, that would change the decline of all these other factors I've mentioned. He said, if you could just figure out a way to become a community of great neighbors, that might be the greatest difference. Now imagine being a faith leader in a community, and you've invited the mayor to ask the question, what is it that would change this city? What is it that would be good for the city that we could do as communities of faith? And as the mayor's leaving, what he says is, hey, if you guys could just learn to be better neighbors, (laughs) it might just change everything. In other words, hey, you know the greatest commandment that Jesus gave you? Why don't you just live it out? It might just change everything in our city. Dave responded as as he left, and Talk to the other preachers and just it say, was, it was like a punch in the gut. It's like we, we, we try to complicate all this that was so simple that Jesus, again, Jesus is smart. He knows what he's talking about. And the point of the mayor was if, if, if our neighbors just knew one another, if they would care for one another's needs, we wouldn't need all these social services because we would live in close enough community with one another, knowing what the needs are and responding to those needs that you wouldn't need all of these things that we tend to put in place. That's pretty hard to have to learn from someone who, in Denver, I'll tell you, that mayor's most likely not a Christian. That was the way they told the story. To do the things that Jesus told us to do that we should know to do already, but we have to be reminded from people and places we would have never expected. And and as I heard that story, it it was a conviction to me of, what are we doing? How well do we love our neighbors? What does it look like for us to neighbor well? Because Jesus said it, love your neighbor as yourself. And he doesn't say, believe this and you will live. What does he say? He says, do this and you will live. The Good Samaritan story, makes a great point. And for many years I've heard this passage and this story translated and, and, and interpreted correctly to say, everyone is your neighbor. And so if one day you come across your enemy, maybe a, a Muslim extremist, you happen to come in contact with, you to love them and care for them. And that's a huge thing, isn't it? And yet the truth is, how many of us are going to come into contact with that kind of person in our life? So we come to the end of it the extreme, and the extremists say, yeah, I would do that, but we aren't willing to do the harder things that are sometimes... You see, when Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, what if he meant your neighbor? Like your next door neighbor. That's too simple, isn't it? That's too too simple to do something like that. We want to do big things for the kingdom of God, but what if? See, graduate school uh, on, on this whole loving neighbor thing might be your enemy, but maybe some of us, me included, need to start at the kindergarten level and just start by the person who lives next door to me. So i got a pop quiz that I want to throw at you this morning. It's not about like you're not going to be heaven or hell bound based on your answer, Okay. But I want you to take the the, the paper that's in the row in front of you out. There should be some in the chairs in front of you, at least one per household. But as many as are possible, I'd love for you to fill this out. Hopefully you have a pen or a pencil that you can uh, use. Uh, Look around a little bit and make sure everyone around you uh, has one. I want you to take this out. And I want to take you through an exercise that I went through that day in Denver that really challenged me. And I think it could be a great blessing to this church family. So you can see just a tic-tac-dough board. Uh, In fact, the image for the whole series kind of goes back to this is what I've been leading up to all along. What does it mean to party? What does it mean to party at home? What does it mean to party in our neighborhoods? Well, this is it. So the the, the middle of this uh, tic-tac-toe board, you can call it, is a house. Now, it, it's an artistic rendering, so the artist had to kind of leave the front door off, which is its own lesson, right? Being people of hospitality, our doors always open. But imagine your house in the center. And I want you to imagine your neighborhood and the eight houses that are right around you, okay? And you don't get to cut three off if you have, like, you know, a a, a creek behind you or something like that. Just think about the closest eight neighbors you have to to you, okay? And over the next couple minutes, I'm going to give you time to write down. I want you to write uh, with a pen. I want you to write the names of your neighbors, the eight closest houses around you, on this sheet, okay? And if you can get that, which would be doing well, just the names of your neighbors. First names are fine. I want you to write down, what, what do you know about them? What information? Do you do you know uh, what their occupation is? Do you know what faith community they attend? Do you know? Anything you know about them, if you can get the names down, go to that level. And then if you're, if you're doing well then, then what are, the, what are their dreams? What, what deep down is it about them that makes them tick and thrive, okay? So the first thing is just get names down, okay? So I'm going to give you about two or three minutes, and I want you to do this right now, okay? So right now, get the names down. We'll come back in just a minute. Oh and one one note I'll, I'll I'll give you. Don't you can't write Cat Lady on here, okay? Or guy with the red truck or like names, okay? That's what we're talking about. I'm gonna give you about sixty more seconds. So get as many as you can down. I know you just got so many coming to your head. It's it's hard you know, I know how this goes. All right, so I want to ask, how many of you have at least one name in all eight boxes? Anybody? We got a few out there. That's pretty impressive. All right, how many of you, keep your hand raising if it's eight, how many of you, at least five boxes you have one name in? Wow, you're actually beating the averages as I've seen this done before. Dave and Jay have been around to 500 different cities with this presentation. And they've never been a room, in a room with Christian leaders who have had over half the room fill in at least 5 boxes. We live in a different area than we used to. I know there are all kinds of reasons when it comes to the alleys we drive into and the garage doors and the privacy fences. But we're gonna we're gonna when we leave today we're gonna be passing out some magnets that show the same thing on. Get a dry erase marker. We want you to put this on your refrigerator. And right now you may have one or two names. I got to tell you, I was ashamed when I did this for the first time, because I realized here I am ministering in a city, doing all I can to save all these different people, and I don't even know my own neighbors. And that's a that's a daunting thing to consider. Some of you. It can be real proud. You, you've gotten to know your neighbors, and that creates all kinds of opportunities. But I don't know how we can possibly love our neighbor if we don't know our neighbor's name. And, and, and here's what I wonder is if we get to know their names and not just, hey, dude, which I've said quite a few times, you know, passing along, or if it's not just the guy with the red truck, but if it becomes, Susan, I, I heard that your mom was in the hospital. Uh, we've been praying for it. Tell Tell me how she's doing. That's a different story, isn't it? So, this is going to start with some awkwardness to begin to fill in these boxes, because some of you' have been living places for a while and you don 't know your neighbor 's names and it 's kind of hard to go up and say i 'm sorry i shouldn 't know your name, but, but this is what I want to ask you to do. They probably don 't know your name either let 's be honest. Be the one that, that reaches across the aisle across the alley and asks names and you know, say I, I'm, I'm, and there 's a great opportunity for this coming up let 's be honest a halloween there 's a lot that we can talk about that may be negative about this time of year, but one of the benefits. <laughs> is that we've got our neighbors around. We probably don't have a night of the year that we, don't meet, that we meet more people than on Halloween night that are in our neighborhood. Have this on your refrigerator. As people are coming by, just make sure that you know where they live. As you're going around with your kids, just happen to ask their names. It may seem strange, and it may be that another venue than Halloween night's the time to do it. But start to get the, to know your neighbors. And my challenge is over the next few weeks, the next few months, is that as many of us as possible can have as many of these boxes filled in as we can. We're going to come back to this in a few weeks and months as we talk about outreach, as we talk about the series that's coming up uh, in 2016 that I'm excited to share with you soon. I think this is the call of Jesus. It's so easy to come to the Good Samaritan story and think, man, yeah, I'm ready to love my enemies. Sometimes it's just harder to love our next-door neighbors. And the call of the gospel for us, whether we live in apartments or, or houses, wherever you live, we have people around us. And I don't think it's a mistake. We live where we do. We often think we get houses because we like the floor plan and we like the price that we happen to get. Or maybe some of us regret the price we paid. And some of us have neighbors. We really don't want to get to know their names, if we're honest. Because it can be a dicey place to live sometimes in neighborhoods and get to know the stories. And Sometimes it's easier to just stay shielded in. But if we as followers of Jesus are going to follow the great commandment, it's not going to just look like staying in our homes and going to church and loving God. It's going to look like loving our neighbor, and it probably will begin in your neighborhood. So this is one of the challenges Holly and I are going to try to step up to, is we want to fill out this magnet so that we can know the names. Because what will happen is when we get to know their names, all of a sudden we'll have something to move that's going to be outside, and they'll be there. And we'll get, hey, Fred, would you come over and help me move this 30, 30 feet into my garage? And that conversation will turn into... Hey, would, would you and Susan want to come on over for dinner one night? Because we'd love to have you over, uh, love our kids to get to know each other. I don't know what will emerge from this, but I do know that if we're going to love our neighbors, it's going to mean knowing their names. And if we're going to be the kind of missionaries in this city, it's going to mean starting in Jerusalem, which is our house, right? Before it extends to the ends of the earth. So right now I want to pray over the names that you've written down on those papers. And I want to pray over those boxes that may be empty right now. Those conversations that may be coming up that you'll get to know your neighbors. That God will use us as salt and light however he wants to in the days to come. This isn't a door knocking campaign. This is a loving your neighbor campaign. And if we're going to throw parties and be people of hospitality and peace in our neighborhoods, it's going to mean finding the people of peace by knowing their names first. Let's pray as we close our time together. God, for the names that we have written down just a moment ago, These are not just names. These are people that you uh, sent your son Jesus to die for. These are people that you know the number of hairs on their head and you know the pains in their lives and you know exactly what good news is for them. And you've provided us that good news. So God, this morning we pray blessing over each and every name that's been written down. In addition, God, we pray for those boxes that are empty right now. Whether that signals a house that's empty, that's about to be moved into, help us to be the very people to welcome them to the neighborhood. Whether that means that we haven't gotten to know neighbors and we've been there a long time, God, would you open doors and open opportunities so that we might get to just love the people around us. It's what you call us to do. It's the greatest command, and yet it's something we, we failed at. So God, this morning, would you work through us and in us? Would you help us be discipled, not just to evangelize others, but to be discipled by the very people who know you already that we've not gotten to partner with in, in, in your sharing of the good news? So God, thank you for good news. Thank you for people that we live around, even the ones that are hard to pray for, and to love. We pray this prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen.